Uh, Trustee Lujanani? Present. Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Lawrence is not here yet, but we do have a quorum. Okay, so why don't we proceed, and what I would propose is perhaps we um, uh, skip item two until Trustee Lawrence arrives. So let's start with the um, uh, minutes. So I'll, I'll move the uh, approval of the last minutes onto the agenda. Uh, can Kenny, would you like to second that? Sure, I second. Okay. Do you have any comments, Kim Kinney? I don't. Uh, no, no comments. Okay. All in favor, aye. Aye. Okay. That passes by majority of members present. Um, so if it's okay, why don't we skip item two just so that Michelle can be present for the discussion? Um, would it be fair to um, start with item three, the retrospective? Sure, that'd be great. Okay, let's go do that. All right. Uh, this is Dave Gravender. We're looking at the Innovative Consulting Group contract. So, Jim, we've got that uh, presentation up on the screen. Uh, we're looking at this. I did this review with uh, Jody Copeland, who helped considerably on, on pulling this all together. So I'll ask Jody to comment anytime you feel you want to jump in on a, on a comment on, the, on, on what's up here. Feel free. Uh, so this is the contract that was approved. On December 2nd, the board approved the contract for $2.4 million, a 12-month contract to work with ICG to provide staffing resources to replace our consultants that we had on staff that were working as essentially replacing full-time employees with, with employees. That contract would uh, allow us to hire 20 people under the contract and replace 16 people that were under contract working as, as FTEs. And so these are the results of that contract. So you'll see on November of 2014, that's when uh, we started with that with 16 consultants, uh, average cost of about $169,000 each, uh, with FTEs in the, in the IS application department at 28, and you can see the breakdown there of those, of those positions. Uh, and what we did with the 20 by October 15th, you can see that we had not completed all of the 20 hires at this point. There were still three consultants on board. Uh, and, we, and we had increased staffing to 45. So, so one component of this is to recognize that we hired people outside of this contract as well. So some of the consultants we actually had turned into employees. Mm -hmm. they, they opted to convert over and become our employees and stop being consultants for us. And so that's, that's part of what goes into these numbers uh, where we did that and you see what the increase was to staffing. Uh, the agreement with ICG on this contract was that we would uh, flat we would fix our cost over a 12-month period so that we didn't have the large influx of whenever the consultants were on board and the conversion fees to say, let's just fix the fee over the 12 months where the consultant will work for, ICG will hire them for six months, and they, then they would become our employee following that six-month period. And so you can see we didn't get that all completed by October of 2015. Actually, we thought it might take three years to complete this whole process. And, and we had it all completed by March of 2016. Three years to complete the process of converting these? No, we contracts. thought it might take three years to fill all 20 positions. Uh, we had no idea that the response from the people in the marketplace would be so um, good, so positive, that okay. so many people would say, yes, I would love to convert and become a full-time employee and get mm -hmm. off the road and travel. And so we hired primarily senior systems analysts or um, lead application analysts and senior analysts. So we got very experienced people into the roles. Uh, we, we didn't take a lot of 
uh, brand new individuals into this. It wasn't people that had just started their careers and had a couple years. These are all very experienced people that we had that had been in the business for a long time, working specifically with our applications across the entire country. And so that was the, the result there. We also hired two hard to find positions, the IT network engineer and our senior database and business analyst. Uh, the senior network engineer allowed us to replace a contract we have with DataWay, and, and that's reflected in our numbers here, uh, where we had DataWay monitoring all of our networks um, for us and then doing that service as a as thing would break, we would have to call them, then they would have to come in and fix it, and we were able to eliminate that contract with this network engineer, a highly skilled, highly, certifi highly certified individual, a lot of certificates under Cisco, which is what our networks are, to help us build that. And then the senior database and business analyst, that, that's actually Sue Ellen Jackson, who built our K2 uh, BI repository, gave us the ability to do decision support, and one of the key members of the team that uh, fulfilled the prime data application, uh, data reporting requirements in that. Uh, this is the contract fiscal results of what we looked at baseline uh, to impact comparison. And Jody, do you want to walk through this slide for us or do you want me to do the overview? Either way. Can I ask one question? Sure. So uh, what's, uh, just to know like what it, what it is that these folks do and it was really sure. helpful for you to say that the K2 but do they, did any of these folks also work with the ICD-10 conversion and the other things as well? Yes, they would have, um, although in, uh, yeah, they would have. So the, the primary group there is application support people. So these are people supporting Sorian Financials, Sorian Clinicals, okay. uh, the laboratory system, the pharmacy system. Okay. Um, so now I understand what application Yeah, the medical means. record system. I was just trying yeah. to the applications okay, are, are the software do. that we run okay, and, and support. Okay. So that's primarily what they do. Oh, so this is a list that kind of shows where we were at on salaries in 2014, 2015, and 2016, and then the budget for 17. So uh, there's a lot of numbers up there, but I think the, the, the key numbers are the numbers above the line is total labor, what we were actually paying in salaries benefits for those positions, and then we saw, see what the management consulting fees are, and then the bottom line there is the total cost of professional staff, which is a combination of the employees plus the consultants. Mm -hmm. You can see we were at 6.9 million in 2014. Mm -hmm. it, it ballooned up to 9.9 .9 million in, in 2015, partially because of the consulting contract was there. The same with 16, that ICG contract spanned 15 and 16, the, the fiscal years. And then you can see the result in fiscal 17, which I really think is the net effect of what we did through this. We have more employees, uh, for less cost than we had back in 2015 and 2016. Uh, and the, the contract, I think, is on the next slide, if I can yeah, jump to that is, one. Yeah. Uh, where, where this kind of shows the, the results of that. On the left is what, the, what was proposed in the project, reduce consultants, hire the 20 people, and, and the proposed savings was 300,000 in the first year and a million yeah, following that based on the base year. And you can see here's our result. The contract consultants were reduced, to, reduced by 16, so we got to that zero. We hired 23 individuals, um, which results in 20 FTEs, and the consulting costs were reduced from 5.1 million in fiscal 15 to a budget of 637,000 in 2017. So I think we achieved our goals that we that we proposed in this original contract, uh, and it's been very successful with the, the kind of talent we've gotten uh, through the process. And I will report that the employees are very very happy. We bring them on site twice a year, uh, a fly-in of sorts to get everybody together. So we have team meetings uh, in person and face-to-face. -face. Uh, we do some team building events. We go to the, an Oakland A's baseball game. 
uh, as the Buddy, Betty Duffel Memorial event. It was one of our employees that passed away who was a big baseball fan, so the whole team goes there as a team building event. Uh, and then we have meetings that week with the whole team to do education, um, bring out, roll out new processes and bring them on board. Uh, and so that's, that's what's been the result of this contract. <coughs> Questions? The, um, the, the, on page 32, the baseline versus the, the impact comparison, would you, would you go through that with me just a bit? Sure. I, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I apologize for being late. No. So, so in 2014, uh, that, is the, the, that is the year kind of before the baseline because the, that, that's the prior year. And, and who are those? Those people are, are, are in the consulting, are those are the consulting folks or our folks? On the top of the page, those are our folks. So okay. the 2.2 million is employees. Okay. And the 4.7 was consulting. Okay. So we were spending almost twice as much money, more than twice as much money on consultants than we had an actual staff. Okay. In 2014. Okay. In 2015, as we worked towards uh, the effort, we expanded that. So, so we can see we had more consulting fees that happened. So we added about a million dollars of consulting and we added staffing at the same time as we were ramping up. So that's as we were looking at fixing Sorian financials, uh, implementing more of next gen and just expanding every everything we were implementing. So that's where the number goes to 9.9 .9 million in total. So I'm not comparing those figures. Basically, you're showing me the reduction in in consulting costs. So I'm not comparing total look at the totals. So so I brought this contract to the board in November of 2014, which is fiscal year 2015. Uh-huh. So that's where we were at. So we went from 2004, fiscal 2014 to fiscal 2015, where we said this this is not a sustainable model right. of going at this cost ratios. Okay. So we through, through that time period is when we brought in those the, the first set of people converted over. So the project man, a project manager was included in that process because it was a difficult to fill position. Okay. So that's 23 from here and then the others, it's 45 or... Um, uh, to, no, to get from, from where we were in November of 2014 to the budget for 2017 goes from it's those, from, from is, is what that total change is. Okay. Yeah. So Dave, our cost, I mean, if I'm looking, I mean, you know, it's always hard to compare, but it would appear that from 14 to 17, um, our costs, our professional staff costs did go up, right? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. From seven to okay. eight from one. Uh, so the, you know, so the effect of this is, uh, so the effect of this is to move from a, uh, you know, an outside consulting model to an in-house model. Right. I mean, that, yes. that's the accomplishment. That's the achievement. Yes. And, and the comparison is really to fiscal 2015 because that's when this contract was proposed to change our model. So the, right. The, but, I mean, yeah, but I mean, I think what you're telling us is in 15, there's some doubling up in any case. And um, so why is 14 and why? So you think you're saying comparing to 14 is not a good comparison year. Why not? Well, I think 14, the example of 14 to show how much we had in actual staffing 
and how much we had as consultants. In 15, we were growing the department as well, but you can still see there's a lot of consulting mm -hmm. in that. And we took on two Meditech right. systems. And that brought, so there yes. Was 15 also brought on San Leandro and Alameda, which brought on that staffing into the model as well. Okay. So 14 is not a good comparison because by 17, we're doing more stuff. Absolutely. We're doing more work, right? Right. Yeah. I, I think the reason 14 is there is, is to show what the model was a, as we were starting this process. Clearly, we had way more consulting people mm -hmm. than we did employees, mm -hmm. and we're spending a lot more for consulting. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so I, I think slowly this pea brain of mine is, is following this. So w what I was trying to get at, philosophically, I think the board has continually said that we'd much prefer to have people are in-house people than we would those people who, I was going to say out-house, but those people who are working outside the system. Consult consultants. Yes, right, consultants, yeah. Um, I, I'm, yeah, well, you, okay. Um, but I, I want to make certain that as we go forward with those, those um, in our own employees, that the uh, escalation of costs and benefits, et cetera, in comparison as these things go up, we make certain that we're recognizing that there's got to be a balance here between what we save and what we spend. And so uh, I was trying to, trying to look through those, those trend lines. And so I'm not quite certain I still am understanding it. Yeah, so uh, I think there is this last one. Uh, mm, I'm not sure that... No. I thought we had another slide that had that other piece on it. So, so, so the keys to this is the number of people we had in 2015 for the $9.9 .9 million was less than the number of people we have in 2017. And it's costing us less. That, that's the real bottom line of this process. Because it in included the cost of consulting in 2015 we have more people now than we had in 2015, and it's, we're spending less money, which okay. means more work is being done. Right, right? And, and, that's, support, and, that, and that is the upside. More effectively that, getting to what, done what needs to be done, and it's over a million dollars, which is what I, which I was my projection in 2014 when I brought the contract forward. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so from that standpoint, we're, we're moving. We have more people, more work is getting done. It's costing us less in 2016. It's costing us less in 2017. And it'll cost us less in 2017. So tell me why the 637, the, the 600,000, that's yes. the decrease in the... We still have some consultants for special projects. Okay. So, so it's not always best to hire someone if you've got a special project to do and you want someone to come in okay. and work just that project because it's not something we need long term. So okay. we have some people just on special projects. Okay. Th thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I guess what would have been, um, um, you know, would have illuminated this a little bit more is if we also had some, you know, indication of, you know, efficiency. Um, I'm not quite, you know, I don't, I don't quite know how to define that in this case, but if, you know, if efficiency where, you know, we show that there's more work getting done, or we show that we show that the you know that even better that um, the cost per unit of effort is less. Um, you know, quality. You know, the quality of the effort has improved. Stuff like that. Um, 
Yeah, the way we probably measure that is in projects being completed and projects being completed successfully uh, with fewer errors uh, and more cost effectively. Mm -hmm. And so I would say in that, uh, the next-gen rollouts have been what's been done. ICD-10 was done, the Sorian Financials improvements, the Sorian Financials reporting process, all of that was, uh, is what these people are working on. But it's, it's difficult because that's, that's what we have been doing since the beginning, right? IT staff support projects and do all of that work. Uh, and so it's mm -hmm. a, a bit hard to quantify the, the numbers of projects that are being completed or the amount of work effort being completed. If I were to do it, it would have to be on, on project completions, but that's difficult, too, because then you can, you know, how yeah. do you measure yeah. magnitude of a project? Yeah. ICD-10 right. was Huge. a whole lot of people, but yet it was one project. Mm -hmm. um, uh, rolling out NextGen to the same-day clinic was a smaller project. Rolling out the K-6 clinic was a much bigger project, but two just single projects. So it's difficult to measure that part. I don't have a good answer, Jim, on how I would do that differently no, no, I, to, to I, show I, that. I'm just trying to expect, I'm, I didn't expect a, um, uh, and just, you know, I, if, if you had the easy answer, you would have given it to us. So um, that's more for, you know, it's an encouragement for future reference. Okay. Um, but that would have, you know, that would make it, that, I think that would make it, um, it, it, would, it would just make it easier for everyone to see. So I think what you know the questions you're getting are, um, you know, are, are telling you it, it's a little bit hard to see, uh, <laughs> to see. Okay. I'll keep that in mind on the future retros. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm saying that not in the interest of being critical, but in the interest of being helpful, mm -hmm. um, and you know, trying to force good or. or uh, push good, um, you know, good analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, why don't we move on unless there are other questions? No questions for me. None. Okay. Um, in that case, um, so, uh, Michelle, we had uh, skipped all of the contract approval items um, so that you could be present for all of those. Thank you, and I apologize for so, being late. No worries. So why don't we why don't we move back to item number two? And um, we have uh, Mr. Holly here to lead you through these if you want, or however you want to handle it. Okay. Um, and a lot of these are fairly substantial. So why don't we just go through them one by one? Is that okay with everybody? Yeah, we have questions. Okay. I have questions too, so one by one. Okay, all right. So let's start with, um, I'll move two-way onto the agenda. You can get a second. Second. Okay, let's talk about item 2A. Hello, trustees. Um, this is Ira Holly. Um, for item 2A, that is the proposed renewal arrangement with AMF Media Group. Um, under this proposed master services agreement and a subordinated statement of work, we would be providing for a comprehensive um, media communications plan, as indicated in the board's summary. Yes? Okay. Um, this uh, would... I noticed, Jim, um, if I could ask you to really speak up. Uh, okay. 
I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm leaning in about 50 percent okay. of what you're saying. Is this so, is this better? Feel like you're shouting, and it's not just for okay. not just just for me. I mean, this is part of the okay. know, recorded record. Understood. So, want to make sure we hear all your words. Uh, can you hear me now? <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. Um, that's better. That's better. I mean, you know, just. Feel like you're shouting. <laughs> of course. Okay. Fair enough. Then. Thank you. Um, so, with regards to this, this is a proposed um, renewal arrangement with AMF, and it is going to be a master services arrangement under which there will be a statement of work. The statement of work essentially documents what will be the proposed media communications plan for the coming um, year. It includes, as indicated on the summary, um, branding as well as, um, I believe, a strategic business unit marketing campaign. The marketing campaign is critically targeted both at internal customers, meaning our own staff to roll it out and make sure consistent understanding and awareness, as well as for targeted external customers to make sure our plans and messages communicated through the community. Um, with that being said, um, this is a proposed master agreement for a two-year term, but to make the critical distinction, the statement of work is a one-year term. Most of my understanding is that the budget is driven on a yearly basis, so we only felt comfortable committing to that. Um, I would want to anticipate what may be a question on behalf of any of the trustees, and that is why there is a note that there, were a, um, there was a purchase order that was used to obtain services from 7-1 of this year through 10-31. The rationale behind that, as I understand it, is that based on a constantly refined understanding of budget needs and availability, they were not available and able to finalize terms for a renewal that would have been effective 7-1. We also elected that we did not want to bring a retroactive agreement to the board for approval after things had already been done, since your approval needed to be obtained. The way we squared that circle was to implement a purchase order for the period of time when there wasn't a contract, so services could continue, and critically, we could continue to pay for those services in good faith. That maintained the relationship and services and has allowed us to ask for prospective approval going forward of this statement of work. Are there any additional questions that I can come into at this point or address? Um, my questions are not necessarily financial. They're more substantive relative to the document itself. I mean, not to the document, to the process. So, and I, they're either for, for you, Delvecchio, or for, for Terry. Um, I tried to look at the deliverable charts as it went through and all the, all the things that are coming um, that you were intending to have them produce. Is that, am I reading that correctly? The... The, the timelines, the second thing with all the timelines. The one that has optional, optional. Why does it have optional? Yes, that's correct. Uh, I'm, I'm looking on the addendum page, not on this contract page, but on the addendum for this contract. And there was a schematic that showed that there was some photography and then there was some et cetera, et cetera. I mean, and brochures and mailings and all that kind of stuff, and they had a timeline. So maybe if you could go and look at that particular thing. I, I suppose what I was interested in is it looks to me that were those the deliverables, are those the timelines, and what I did not find any place as I'm looking at this is how you determine the effectiveness of this amount of money that we're spending. Is this going to be on a survey of community members? Is it going to be 
a gut instinct? Is it going to be surveyed by employees? How do you know that the amount of money for this service, and frankly why I'm raising this, is this got to be a pretty big bone of contention with another group of trustees prior to this group. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just didn't want us to have a reoccurrence of those same kinds of issues because I think it hurts not only the relationship between the vendor and the board, but then the question about what the staff is doing. And the effectiveness of whether or not this makes any sense. And so um, could you talk more about that process? So let me start, Terry, and then uh, if, uh, if there's some substantive stuff you want to chime in, that would be great. So thank you for the question, uh, uh, Trustee Lawrence. Um, the way that we are approaching uh, AMF as a partner uh, this year is uh, we, uh, obviously, we, we're looking at any of these sort of big arrangements uh, through the lens of the strategic plan and what, what role do, in this case, a partner for uh, uh, communications, internal and external, play in that. Uh, so I know that, because that was actually the first meeting I came to uh, uh, I, I, during my tenure, that there were some um, questions about a precedent that was established with respect to AMF's work in terms of uh, social media, in terms of uh, uh, brochures, billboards, that type of stuff, and uh, uh, marketing, television, radio, whatever, in terms of you know positive hits. There's some like uh, marketing industry metrics in term, uh, that, that were driving what was the net effect of their, their contribution to the organization. We are taking a different tack now. So our tact is effectively uh, our, our purpose as an organization is to expand our role in population health to be a, uh, a proponent and a, a perpetuator of health equity and uh, those sorts of things. So we're going to work with um, um, uh, AMF this year, both with internal and external communication, to help us to advance those sort of themes and messages as an organization. So it's not, historically it was you know, we talked about San Leandro and then the volume at San Leandro increased. We're, that's not what we're about anymore. We're talking about how do we advance messages that uh, position the AHS in the market as the organization that cares about your health, not your intervention, uh, your healthcare intervention. So um, uh, we are going to be working with them. I'll say with sort of a slight exception of the uh, Family Birthing Center, which we started last year, you'll recall, and there's sort of a, a tell that's happening with that. But uh, beyond that, and even that has a lens with in, in uh, population health and health equity that actually goes to the presentation that Trustee Banerjee gave last uh, um, last week, We're talk or in the last board meeting, we're talking about then not just the birthing center, but... Uh, bringing in the um, uh, maternal child health piece of this, the centering program, the uh, uh, lactation and breastfeeding stuff and how, what that does to health equity. But beyond that, the work will be types of efforts that look at uh, conveying to our internal audience, our workforce, uh, what the organization is trying to achieve and how we're positioning ourselves, and then what that looks like externally. It could be a series of messagings around, um, you know, taking better care of yourself in terms of health and activity, in terms of diet and nutrition, in terms of public safety and things like that, um, and then tying that theme to AHS as an organization that's advancing this uh, to the community. So, so when we step back, what we would expect to see is that EMFs work with us, for example, on the inpatient or inpatient, great, on the internal side would be 
one of several components of employee engagement. And one of the pieces so, uh, that might come out is um, when we did our survey, people saying, I don't, um, I don't have a sense of belonging. I don't understand what the organization is doing. Um, I don't think that the organization uh, perpetuates quality or uh, uh, delivers quality care, that they will be a part of the efforts that we will do to do the direct feedback with staff in terms of our actual activities and in terms of our communications with them. So it's not, I don't think, and I hope we can get away from, AMF or any other one thing being sort of the linchpin for us saying this created this, this created that. And I think that's what I recall there being all these uh, sort of uh, kerfluffles about, you know, AMF saying, we did this media and then your ED volume went up. Well, that's not necessarily, there's not necessarily a right. correlation between those two. And uh, I, don't, I don't believe, my position is that we can do that. There's too many other uh, evolving factors that happen in the course of a media or marketing campaign or internal communication campaign that all contribute to or have some effect in, in one direction or another. So for us, it's a, when you ask the question of, of how will we then assess the value of the engagement, I say it's two-pronged. I say, one, we will look at what are the expected deliverables and did they actually deliver on those things and our subjective opinion of that was it of the quality and the uh, professionalism that we believe and expect uh, um, or had in mind when we went into the contract. And then two, uh, we'll look at them as a component of everything else to say employee engagement was this. One aspect that we were helping, they would help with was this. They were a part of that. Did it move to dime? And then we'll say, you know, there's a host of things that might have contributed to that, of which this may be one of them. Uh, and we're constantly then, and one of the things we're doing as a group is saying, we're looking at uh, uh, the essence of this relationship, much like uh, Dave just talked about on the IT front and saying, the way that we're structured now in communications, we have a few internal resources that are good, but it's a small group. And the uh, relationship has been for EMF to complement that. We're now having a conversation about on a like long-term basis, is that the model we think is right for PR, for marketing, for internal communications, all those sorts of things. But as it stands right now, that is the uh, infrastructure that we do have, and we're just working with that infrastructure in a way that's more strategic and thoughtful, or that's what we're intending to do. So what I processed, what I hear you saying, is that you are going to assess the quality of what they produce as opposed to the effectiveness of, of the product. Uh, I think that's one way to interpret it. Is, I don't know that... And, I, and yeah. I'm okay with that yeah. because I, I agree with you. You know, everybody, when, when they come to education, they, they say, oh, it improved the kids' reading scores. Well, you don't know whether that was because they ate vegetables or because you have a, a good third-grade teacher, whatever it happens to be. So I, right. I get that difficulty. Yeah. I just want to make certain that as we as we approve a contract, and it's a lot of money. Agreed. That, that there's some measurement along the way that you got your bang for your buck. And how do you determine the bang for the buck? So is it in the support of the people that are currently here? Mm -hmm. Is it the, the volume of the stuff that is produced? The quality of the things that you see that make you, that represents us? Mm -hmm. Um, because what I'm hearing you say is that it's too difficult to affect, to assess the effectiveness of I, that individual. I agree. I think okay. from an outcomes perspective, it's too difficult to make a one-to-one, -one, but for surrogate measures like, you know, 
we thought we would be able to produce this uh, many things by this deadline and with this degree of engagement. And we'd be saying, well, maybe we did that and we did about a deadline, but it took way too much effort on our part to work with them to do this and saying, well, maybe we don't, you know, maybe that wasn't an effective use of our time and we should think about a different way of approaching that. Or, yeah, that all worked, but we didn't get nearly the, uh, the impact uh, from, that we thought we would get. Whether it's whether it's because of that or any other element, so we just need to step back. In. So the the effectiveness is going to be a subjective based on a management perspective. Yeah, subjective with some some surrogate sort of actual measure. So for example, if we said we expected a photo library that allowed us to have this many types of images with this much. Uh, diversity and uh, uh, messaging, and we're able to use that, and we don't need to deploy other resources, so there could be some financial... Yeah, that's measurable. There. Yeah, that's measurable. Okay. But a lot of it will be subjective. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, you know, I, I'm really glad to hear that the, you know, although the contract is for the, the high level is for two years that you can negotiate uh, the contract annually, because as you you know, go around with your population health management program, your direction of your campaign and what it's going to look like and what it's going to feel like and who will be your partners are going to, you know, just get more fleshed out and solidified. But, you know, with big campaigns, whether it's tobacco or any of these other things, if there are you know, building a slightly robust evaluation, even if it's a, not AMF doing it, but internally for us to be doing it in terms of this is a time that you're rolling out a very new redesign of your health system and you're positioning AHS as an anchor organization, as someone that's building a culture of health out here. So some of the metrics, yeah, what, what we heard in a previous iteration was like Facebook hits and things are a little too puerile, but it might be where how much does the community know about AHS? You know, mm-hmm. what do they know now versus at the end of the campaign? What's the recognized? And you've done that. You've done that, but in a more granular way if you could be doing in terms of the different, no, you know, sure. core business unit services. What's the familiarity that our partners have with referral uh, Things. So, Is that- so uh, I'm, I'm, I may be misinterpreting Jerry's uh, cunning smile over there, but I'm going to tell you what I think that smile is. Uh, what, what, what I think you're, how, how what you're suggesting manifests itself is uh, uh, something like a brand um, assessment. Mm-hmm. where they would start off and interview baseline. a bunch of people and create a baseline of, you know, when I say AHS, do you think of all these facilities? Yes. Do you think about, you know, trauma? Do you think about all these things? Mm-hmm. I pushed him away from that. Be, be perfectly honest. Think? This year, because I said, I'm tired of interviewing people and asking them what they think about us. Like, <laughs> we did it with a strategic plan. We interviewed, I mean, they, they actually had a proposal. They said, we're going to invite 25 external uh, uh, partners and, and people in the community. We'll interview 25 internal people. I'm like, we did it with the plan. We're doing it with IT strategy. We're doing it with the employee engagement is like stop asking people what they think like we know we got enough things to know what people think we also know what we want to do based off of what we've heard people already say let's just do a little bit now and then we can come back and say okay now how do you think of us sure 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 as long as it's you're piggybacking on something that's already happening because here's where i think is that uh, with with your employees and things uh, uh, yeah so it doesn't have to be a whole separate piece related just to branding because like you said you don't know what's causing there are all these different efforts that you're putting through that that might be improving our visibility and credibility in the organization and you can't just correlate it to this one thing but do do like in the other ways that you're doing 
and assessment and pulse check of the community, please do uh, do that because Agreed. there are new new uh, things, and I hope there's going to be some language um, issue. You know, like just not Spanish. Maybe like if, are yeah. we going to expand it a little bit more? Yeah, and, and, and the short answer to that is yes. And let me just make sure too that uh, uh, trustees understands um, that the AMF contract uh, um, it, it, always the highlighted things get to like marketing campaigns and things like that because that's like the big project and it has a splash. They help us a lot with PR as well. So when we're dealing with issues like how we're being positioned in the media with respect to John George, mm -hmm. they have uh, um, contacts and uh, relationships that we leverage for immediate sort of crisis intervention types of activities where they help to create messaging and create inroads for us to create balanced perspectives about who HS is specifically to that issue or another issue. So sort of a media PR type of uh, mm -hmm. thing. We're still, we're going to be talking to them about how we do that even more effectively. How do we build, uh, uh, for example, a group of internal experts that, as we know, we have a message we want to get out. The community has a set of things they think about all the time, and these things, are, news cycles are what they are. So irrespective of what we want to get out, people may not be interested in that. But when that comes up, like, for example, end-of-life care, if that takes on legs again, and, and there's a lot of stuff in the media, if we have our specialist, one of our physicians here, Dr. Zitter, who's done the Netflix piece you'll see at the end of this month, primed and ready to go, we can say, you know, here's an expert that then positions AHS as a thought leader in these sort of things. That's part of what we would do with our internal people and with AMF that's built into that contract that has a sort of flexibility as, as the year goes along we can respond to that. So all of this isn't sort of baked out at the beginning of the year but we create a platform that allows us to, to do these things over the course of the year. Um, this is Jim. Uh, so first of all I, I wanted to uh, say for the record that I um, had exactly the same questions Michelle did although far less eloquent. Um, we're falling well behind, so um, not to stop important discussion, but um, uh, maybe we should move along. Okay. I call for the question. Okay. All in favor, aye. 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 Uh, any, okay, I think that was unanimous. So let's move along here to um, M modal. Or mo modal. Is that the correct pronunciation? <laughs> um, okay, I was ready. Moving on. Okay, um, all right, with regards to tab two for M modal, um, this is a proposed agreement um, to renew an existing arrangement for provision of contracted um, HIM, basically information coders. Um, the services they provide um, enhance those that are already provided by a core of our employees, but we need additional in order to satisfy all of our requirements. I move um, approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. All right. And, and, uh, and, and actually, um, as we start the third one on, uh, uh, let's see, Juliana Green, one question I have, and this is, um, uh, I see this in tabs 2A, B, C, D, is it talks about the agreement, um, you know, the agreement expired and then been working under um, 
you know, kind of a temporary arrangement, and now it's coming back for approval. And um, I'm curious why we're doing it that way. Why not? Why didn't this come to the board when it was time to, um, you know, when it when it expired in the first place? So maybe we can address that question as well when we, when we go into item two C. Um, starting off with item 2C then, that is the proposed renewal of the arrangement with um, Code Work Services, um, which is principled by Juliana Green. This, as is within modal, a, another arrangement for contracted HIM coders. Um, the particular reason that this agreement, as well as several others on the agenda this evening, have notes that they were preceded immediately by purchase order acquisition of services is because for multiple reasons. I went into AMF and the particulars there. For the other three, including this one under consideration, um, my department was made aware of the desire by the business owners um, of a desire to renew after the contracts had actually expired. Um, we are only able to do what we know we're asked to do, of course, and so we did what we could. Um, ultimately, that led to a situation where services were not really consistent with being not available while we had a contract. We needed to have those services, so the decision was made to obtain a purchase order as an interim, and we rushed the contracts as quickly as we could once we were told that they were desired. Um, the, I des the desired impact of this was to make sure that the board was not being asked to approve retroactive agreements, whereby we'd already basically said, just you know, rubber stamp something. We did not want that to be the case. Yeah, so we're, we're Jim, we're continuing to improve the uh process of connecting the contracts of the business owners to make sure that they get notification that their contracts are up and something needs to be done. Okay. Um, I mean, so, I mean, just, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to beat up the situation. I know it, it, this is a, you know, it's a matter of learning. What, what are you doing to kind of improve, to kind of improve that and avoid those kind of situations ongoing? Um, I actually have created a little bit of what I generically refer to as a dog and pony show with an educational summary of the necessities of timeliness and I am going to be speaking with the various business owners on a rolling basis to go through what the needs are on their side as well as what my department can do. Hopefully this will result in increased awareness and a consistent approach throughout the organization with the business owners coming in a timely fashion saying we need a contract for X, Y, or Z. And, and Jim, what, what, what's the, what, what, what's the, as you uh, sort of take this presentation around to people, what's the reaction to it? Um, what's, I've, what's your feel? I've only had a few instances in which I've been able to do it so far, but they've actually been very positive. And I can say that one of the first instances in which I did the presentation, the individuals in question had been consistently frustrated with the process. There was, I think, a failure to understand what we were asking for, and it led to just frustration and unhappiness. And after the presentation, they were both very thankful in person, because I did it in person. It was different, and they seemed to the mode of communication was as important as the message. Let's put it that way. I learned that lesson, so it'll take longer for me to do it in person, but I think the value will be worth it at the end. Well, you know, the, the process for improvement, if, if there weren't any needs for improvement, there wouldn't be, I mean, what, what would we be doing with our lives? Um, <laughs> so um, I think the thing for us, though, in terms of accountability and assessing 
your effectiveness or the department's effectiveness or the organization is maybe you could keep track of the number of purchase orders that you're having to do now and then the contracts versus what you have to do in six months from now. The, the, the issue when you come on a retroactive to a board, you know, a, um, yeah, retro, uh, retroactive, then the board can see how many times we're, you know, we're messing up. When you do the purchase order, you can't. So just keeping track of that, and I really understand, and, and I applaud you for the individual, because I do think those things make a difference, and it'll take you time to, to, to get our contractors into line. So congratulations. Yeah, and I'll just point out, I've, this is Mike Moy, <coughs> Jim. So uh, David Cox and I had actually, you know, spoken about, you know, our overall contracting process and, you know, not just this issue, but, you know, who are we contracting with, you know, how are those contracts being managed? And uh, you'll recall that we had the discussion in the audit committee about the situation at uh, Kaiser with that employee, and that's what sort of prompted that. So, um, so I've actually, you know, spoke with Ira about us doing a, an actual, you know, comprehensive review of every contract that we have in place, that's great. Um, which will have some, you know, additional benefits in terms of this process piece. You know, in that it will help to identify contracts, you know, where business owners are not properly identified. It will help us to, you know, improve the integrity of the database which manages all of those. So there's a couple of other pieces that will are all going into that we've identified and that we're looking at. So. And it seems to me that we have to measure those improvements. And so keeping a record of, of how many of those those uh, individual purchase orders you do over a period of time, I think, might give us a sense of how quickly we're making those improvements. Okay, thanks. Yeah, and, and I'd say keep, you know, also keep track, I'm sure you do anyway, of just you know, your, your efforts to do, you know, to provide education and to, you know, you know, make sure that everyone in the organization, you know, understands the expectations and the rules and all that. Because um, I think that's important, too. Um, so, so good. Um, Shall I call for the question? Well, sure. Why don't you call for the question? Okay. Um, I move we pass the Jillian Green. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, RHIT yeah, Code Workers yeah. Services Agreement. I second. All right. I'll second that. All right. All in favor, aye. 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 All right. Um, did everyone say yes, Suzanne? Yes, yes. yes. All right, great, fantastic. Um, I will move item 2D onto the agenda. Second. All right. Um, any, um, why don't we, just in the interest of speeding things along, any, any questions from trustees or comments from management? None. None. That's, sounds like none. All right, all in favor, aye. 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 Okay. Great. Let's move on to, I'll move item 2E, the AHP um, contract with Paragon Pathology Medical Associates, our partners in pathology. Um, like a second? Second. All right. Um... I guess I, I do have a 
Oh, I'm not sure it's exactly a question, but a comment. Is there any, um, Matt, uh, is any, any, anything for management on this one? Mm. Uh, very, very quickly, we're moving the pathology yep. contract from Alameda Health System to Alameda Health Partners. That's viewed as a huge win, vote of confidence in Alameda Health Partners. We've also reviewed the compensation, which was really quite a bit below market, and we've set a uh, schedule to gradually improve that comp compensation. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I saw that that was, you're moving that up, up what, 8% over the course of two years? Yes. Um, I, I guess the question I had, and I, I had it before, um, so I'm sure the answer is the same, but um, I think this is another example of, you know, outsourcing medical services, and I just, I, I would be interested at some point in, in understanding the, uh, uh, you know, the strategy we have around that. We don't need to discuss that now, but I'll just, you know, restate my, my interest in that question. Okay. Later date, we'll talk about that. Uh, I do want to compliment you on making certain that you had in there the line of coordination with the medical staff, and I know that was something that we, we had given our word about to the medical staff. I, is that line going to be on all contracts and where it's not appropriate, just put N.A.? That is my understanding. This is a new line item. Great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. I think that came out of the Joint Committee. Thank you for doing that. Okay, well, I think it's been moved and seconded. Kenny, did you have anything? Nope. Uh, just the same question that you had. I thought this was more like some of the more specialized pathology that we outsource, but, yeah, would at some later point like to know how much is, uh, you know, contracted out and if all is. Yeah. And, and, I, and just for the record, I'm not, um, I don't, I'm not saying that... Um, Outsourcing is good, and, and the other way, I'm, I'm not saying that any method is, is good or bad. I'm just curious what the strategy is, because we do seem to do a lot. Um, so, all in favor? Aye. Aye? Okay, that sounds like unanimous. So, I will move item 2F, the um, professional service agreement with Alameda Health between AHS and AHP, onto the agenda. Second. Second. I second. Okay, this is David. Uh, let, let me uh, explain this one. So actually the board's already approved the, the uh, master agreement. Oh, bless you. Bless you. The master agreement between these two organizations, which of course are both, you know, in the family. Mm -hmm. So there's really no financial effect of this at all. Um, and the intent of the deal was um, we set up Alameda Health Partners and um, HS within cover the net deficit from those operations, essentially moving them from AHS to HP. So really no change, just moving over there. Uh, and we said, well, but there's going to be an addendum that will explain exactly how we do that. And this is that addendum. And so what we've done is, um, after now analyzing this, said a good way to do this would be to pay them for the work they're doing. In other words, rather than paying them for a salary or for a debt, whatever deficit they have, give them an amount of money based on the amount of work that they do. So the amount of work is something called a worked RVU. Every time a doctor does something, he earns so many points. Think of it as points. And then um, we pay those points based on what they would get paid by Medicare for the same services times the multiple. And what we've done here is we've agreed on a multiple of 300%, which is within the range 
of you know what a medical group would get paid by um, a, a managed care company. Might be at the high end of the range, but they're doing a lot of um, administrative services as well. Now, one of the reasons we want to be a little generous is that it's very important to our long-term strategy that Alameda Health partners operate profitably. Mm -hmm. They have to have positive earnings and equity because that is a requirement to become what's called a risk-bearing organization, which is something that's defined by the Department of Managed Health Care, and it says if you want to accept capitation, you have to be essentially a medical group and you have to have positive earnings. So this will accomplish those two objectives. Um, David, I was curious about about the 300% tied to Medicare over a 25-year agreement. So if, in fact, things change within Medicare, how does that affect the doctor or affect the health system? Yeah, if, if Medicare changes their payment rates, which they do every year, they update it for inflation and a variety of factors, this would change with that. But the thing we've done here is we said, okay, we're going we're gonna to look at this every six months, and we are going to retain the ability to change that payment rate, drop it from 300% to 250 So that's in the rate. agreement? Yes, yes. And it's the intended, flexibility of that agreement. Okay. Yeah, and it's intended okay. to be a long-term agreement that we can, we can adjust. But a really important thing here is that the physicians get paid for production. And I, we don't have very few agreements that are based on production. Uh, uh, that's great. Yeah, that, that part was stellar in my mind. I was worried about, you know, the, the, the um, uncertainty of how Medicare works in our country and what would be yeah. the fallout. And so over 25 years, it kind of scared me. But yeah. if you have that ability to, to reassess. Okay, good. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Actually, I think it's a 10-year agreement, but that's still a long time. Yeah. Oh, yes, it's 10 years. I saw 2025 and, yeah. and moved. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. And I should mention yeah, that but, the... But, uh, but, but it's still a long time. <laughs> it's still a long time. And I should mention that the oh. AHP Board of Directors has approved this yesterday. Okay. All right. Fine. Yeah. Good plan. Um, is there any... I mean, 10 years... Well, you know, even 10 years is a very long time... Um, What, what, are the, what, what, what are the potential um, risks or disadvantages to AHS to having a, um, is having, a ten, having it be a 10-year agreement? I mean, why not, say, three yeah, years or the, five the, this years? Is, this is in the family. Uh, the board of directors of AHS has ultimate control over what goes on here. So I think the risk is extremely low. Uh, in arrangements like this, you want to have a long-term agreement. Thanks. No, I was, I, was, I was just making sure you understood uh, what David was just saying. So this is with uh, AHP, which, you know, is wholly owned by AHS. So, so it's a long-term contractual relationship with a, with a, uh, uh, in, a, a closely aligned partner. So I don't, I don't think there's any risk there. In fact, I actually think, uh, to, to the point that uh, David and Michelle were just thinking, uh, the, the essence of the payment arrangement uh, actually gives us the the, the type of uh, alignment that we don't have with other uh, um, uh, many of our other contracts right now, and so it's actually 
I think the risk is less in some cases than it would be otherwise where we are subject to um, uh, changes in reimbursement patterns and some of our contractors aren't there. They're fixed. So so this this is a tighter integration, tighter alignment, more uh, better, better, I think, overall. Mm -hmm. All right. So it sounds like the, the, I mean, the, the, the big advantage then is it, it teases up for um, um, you know, for, for risk, for risk, which we yes. think we might want. Yes. And um, it does require that AHP, you know, I, I, you know we're, we're, we're paying them generously, but it does require that they act efficiently and make money, right? And treat, treat patients, deliver care, yeah. Pardon me? Uh, it, it requires that in order to get paid, they deliver care to our patients. Right. Okay. Okay. But, but I think they, they need to deliver care to the patients, but also do it, if, what I'm, if I'm hearing this properly, profitably to them, right? Uh, th this should result in a profitable operation. If it, if it doesn't, we'll come back and okay. talk about it. Right. So, the, so it's very important for them to run profitably. Yes. Um, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't I don't view that as bad. I just want to be clear, um, especially because I could see a time at some point in the future when, you know, maybe you know we're struggling and they're making money, and that becomes a and and that becomes troublesome to some people. And just want to make sure that, you know, but we're doing this very we're doing this with with intent and uh, doing it. Uh, they're doing with strategic intent. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah, we're with you. Call for the question? No. Call for Michelle, the question. Yes, no, I don't have any questions. Call for the question. All right. All right. All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, that sounds unanimous. All right, I think we covered all the approval items. Uh, okay, this is uh, David. I'm going to go into the CFO report. I'm going to try to catch us up a little bit. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm on, on slide 11 of the presentation, and give you uh, just the highlights of what's going on in finance. And then, because uh, we do have some other uh, pretty good reports coming up, Dave's going to talk about the uh, long-term IT planning process. Uh, you're going to hear from Ishwari, and we have a nice education session at the end as well on capitation. So uh, in terms of operations, uh, and I'm talking about the two months through August, we're operating profitably and we're pretty close to budget, uh, just slightly below. We have uh, very favorable revenues um, that are being offset by this um, unbudgeted pension expense accrual issue that we talked about mm -hmm. in detail last time. So we're still de dealing with that. Um, the other thing that's going on is we have um, continued high registry costs uh, in total, those are being offset by lower salaries, but we want to we want to deal with that issue. So we've been talking to our managers. We've identified a it's a very complex problem, but we've got a variety of both external and internal issues. So we're going to be focusing on that and try to deal with the the problem so that we can get the registry utilization down. Um, patient activity in general is um, it's up over last year, but it's slightly below budget. Notwithstanding that, we're doing well on our 
our revenue. So uh, we're well, doing well overall. Um, the major issue we're dealing with is still the primary and specialty access, and we're about ready to kick off the uh, ambulatory access project that the board approved, um, you know, a week or two ago. Um, one issue I've got to talk about is that cash collections um, are down in September, and they're going to be down in October. And what occurred is we had a, um, uh, a glitch when we were uh, updating our billing system. Uh, we actually had to shut down the billing operation for six full days, and, and there were other related issues that, uh, as of today, uh, we're, we figure we're about 17 days behind billing. So that's, that works out to about $15 million. Is this the second time we've had to do this? Um, I think this is the first time we completely shut down. We've had other issues, but this is, this is the first time. We did an upgrade, and, and it didn't, you know, there were issues. And we're obviously talking about how to... Um, not only address the current problem, but you know, prevent that from happening again. And so, the first time wasn't about billing; it wasn't was about, about reporting. Yeah, it was reporting. Yeah. It was a reporting. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so we're gonna we're working through that. Uh, the other thing is, um, uh, of course, we're still in compliance with the permanent agreement, so this this cash issue is not going to uh, jeopardize compliance. Um, and we're forecasting compliance at year end, and we're continuing to pursue the. Um, a Sarah issue. We have had our first meeting with the county, uh, and uh, we're, um, you know, they're digesting that, and we'll talk some more, and then we're going to tee that up for the Sarah board. David, did, was I right in looking at that um, the cash collection and the compliance and the margin seems to me to be a whole lot closer to uh, us running into to trouble than it was last month. No, we actually had a, a pretty the good... The chart looks okay. I mean, when I saw, you know how the green line and you do the... Yeah. Um, yeah. This one? But there's another one in there on the agreement, the county agreement. Yeah, this is this is the county agreement. We've actually just updated this. I don't know if you've got the latest, but... Well, and, I and, was, I, and I would say that this is a... This is what's probably, the one in uh, our report that has a that has a has the high and low has a high oh. and low and the yeah. high and low gets Early much numbers. closer to yes and subsequent to that I've um, right uh, subsequent to that I've updated that as of this morning. Uh, well, we, why we do have, you confuse me in this matter? Uh, it's I, it's just I just love to do that. I, I so suppose it's just it's so much fun. Uh, I did see that, and I said, well, Abuse you know, wait a elderly. minute, wait a minute. And uh, so I've updated it. I've only put the, the forecast, not the optimistic side. Uh, but th there's actually significant upside uh, okay. that we could be quite a bit lower than this. Um, but I haven't shared that with you yet. Okay. So um, just to wrap that up, on page 12, I gave you the income statement with a few highlights, just basically saying the same thing, revenue's good. You can see the uh, GASB 68 issue, the, the registry issue, and the volumes down here if you are interested. And then here I put the um, balance sheet uh, with a few notes for your information. And um, you can see down here we're at days, days and AR, we are at about 63.6. At the end of last year, we were at 57.6, so we're up a little bit. I expect that to go higher again in October, and then it'll come down in November and December as we catch up on the cash. Okay, um, this one I wanted to share. This is our payer mix, uh, and the reason I'm sharing you this is this was actually requested by the county, and the reason is the county is um, actually um, 
refinancing some debt, but going through a rating review right now. Very exciting. They're hoping for a good result of that, and uh, their initial reports are good. But uh, one of the things that um, uh, is always of importance to the rating agency is how is Alameda Health System doing? And so there was a series of uh, data requests. Uh, this is just one. Um, but since they asked for this yesterday, it was very important to the rating agency, so I thought you should see it too. Yeah. And I think essentially what they're trying to sh show is, you know, if you go back to 2013 before healthcare reform, what was our payer mix? And you can see we had, you know, 8.8% self-pay, and you can see that that has come way down. And that's, I think, primarily what they're interested in. I think they're also interested in the growth in Medicare. Mm -hmm. You can see it's changed significantly. And, look, and actually insurance. Insurance. 3.7 uh -huh. to 10.4% growth. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. Big change. Big change. So just in, interesting information. Mm -hmm. uh, and we talked about this, but this is the forecast. And here you can see the, the, the cash situation. So we, we went down to $25 million. We're hoping for about 30 and it's down to about 25 And I'd expect something similar in October. Uh, but we'll catch up. Okay, that completes my report. This was a better month than July, right? It Much was. Better. It was a good month, yeah. yeah. I, I, I did find, um, and so I was confused, in your narrative you had the EBITDA margin mm -hmm. year to date at 4.6, and then in the sheet, in the document sheet, it was 3.2, I think. So I yeah. wasn't quite certain I understood the difference in those. Oh, it was 4.6 uh, for the... And I want you to be, the... see how proud... That is really that good. I'm catching that this. is really good. I know. I have really where, improved Where are my this. gold stars? <laughs> uh, so we had a, a 4.6 for the month of, of Oh, for August, the month. And, and year, to year to date, we're at 3.2. At 3.2. So okay. we're improving. Okay. Thank you. Great. Sure. Okay. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Gravener. Okay. Did you have any other questions, Jim? No? No, I don't. Okay. Go ahead. All right, so uh, you'd you. asked last month for me to come back with a little more informa detailed information about what's happening in long-range plans, so I, I wanted to do that today. Uh, these are the components that make up the long-range plan, so the voice of the customer, IT governance. Uh, we're working through a project prioritization process of how we would define from the governance process what gets worked on. We're doing a, a portfolio analysis of everything that we have within IT, all the applications we have, how we use them, how well they serve our needs. And then the final component uh, that is an optional uh, item for us to move forward if the long-range plan warrants it is the HR selection process. Uh, today I want to bring forward just kind of the voice of the customer and the IT governance parts. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, in the next meeting I'll bring back the prioritization process and, and how, where we're going with that. So you'll see that. Um, so this is, uh, the, the slide I've got up now is, is just one that I pulled out of the report to kind of emphasize what's going on around that voice of the customer. So this is a pretty significant uh, work done around meeting with a lot of different people. So you see 41 interviews happened with 67 participants asking 11 open-ended questions that, that resulted in these 427 comments. And so what, what Lidos, our partner, did with this is, is go through there and say, oh, let's eliminate all the duplicates, let's get down to what are the common themes through all of those messages and what's the representative comment that captures what the, all, all of the 400 did to get to that 125 comments. From there, they turn it over to us. So our leadership team got together with some physicians uh, from Alameda Health System to look at uh, how do we group these things together to get down, what do all of those comments mean? And what do we take from this is what our customers are telling us about how we use IT, uh, how the IT services work, and where IT can take us. So questions around 
uh, is the service good, you know, what's your current ranking of rating of IT, how well it does what we need, and what do you need to get out of, get out of the system? And then that truly just open-ended questions so people would just spew. Uh, they recorded all of those comments verbatim, and then that's where they brought all these things together. So when we got all those comments together, we, they were all up actually in this room, all up on this wall, uh, a bunch of sticky notes up there with all those, and then we just went through and grouped them together uh, with not a lot of other instruction than group them. Uh, and look for about 40 groups, so that was you know three or four comments together in a grouping and put it together. And, and from that, it really forced us to kind of think about what kind of comments go together, how we were, what we were focusing our grouping is around. Uh, different people use different criteria to come up with those groupings, and so it was interesting as we worked through it that some of the comments got moved around because we didn't all agree on whatever the logic was behind a grouping to get up with about, about 40 different groups. From there, we need to take those 40 groups and, and move them down into smaller groups. So it was a really good process of, of reduction of that. Some people wanted to go straight to the five things. Oh, I can just group all of these things together and we'll call it something. But it wasn't, a, a, the process I think was important in really communicating to the larger group how we arrived at the 12 groupings, what we would call those, and then how we arrived at the five. So from a process pr perspective, I think it was very good. I think it gave us good buy-in from all the participants about what it is we were trying to accomplish and what the messages are that came out of it. And, and that's what these five items are that I included in the report. So really around a lot of comments around IT governance and resource allocation, how do we do that? It's, it's the what should IT be working on? And we're going to talk about IT governance uh, a little bit uh, after I finish this section. Uh, a lot around IT support, communication, and collaboration. That's kind of the, what, the how that IT is doing it, and so focusing on that component of it. Uh, the, the next three, I think, are really the pieces that are driving us through how do we do that project prioritization and how do we look at uh, how we're going to move forward with what we want to do with in, in the IT space. Really looking at provider engagement and adoption, how do we do our tasks to make sure we have good adoption and how do we engage our providers in the process of, of deciding where we go with, with IT and how we run the business. And then also from the patient experience, there was a lot of comments around how do we engage the patient in this process as well get them the information they need to participate in their care as we look at being a health partner with our, with our people that work with us as a system for their health. And then finally, in system integration, standards and population health, and that's kind of like where we need to go with what we're working on, integrating our systems better, setting standards of how we use our systems, and then really focusing on that population health outcome. Uh, so those five things go into, uh, into the project prioritization process. We'll see them as we as I bring that back next month, you'll see that the criteria by which we're rating uh, a project includes what is the provider engagement in this? Is, does it improve the provider experience? Does it improve the patient experience? And so that the projects were scored around those items of making sure they address these specific ideal future state elements. Question. So sure. The, uh, the patient experience is from the provider's point of view. That no, their it's, perspective it's, of the patient experience, or were, they, were you using like H, like the, the comment was around make it easy for the patient to access what they need. Okay. You know, so, so from so that the, type from of the, comments from the patient's perspective, can the patient get information they need to help participate in their okay. care? And those eleven questions that you asked had those nine elements that you had. Yeah, like the those nine elements were the, were the, 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 the area of what formed the questions. Yes, yes. Uh, other questions Dave, around these five um, items? Yeah, Dave, this is Jim. Um, so, first of all, um, very, um, uh, I, I, I applaud you for doing a very um, you know, in-depth effort here and a very interesting process. Um, 
as you look at the, you know, you know, and, and you know, and I can, and I know that in your leadership retreat that a lot of that, you know, you guys did a lot of value added in terms of grouping, discussing all that. But this outcome, uh, these five, um, you know, these these five um, future state statements. Do you agree with them? Should, should, is it from your perspective? Is anything missing? Should anything be taken away or added? Well, we have. I, that's a good question. We have more elements that are included in our prioritization process, but we did make sure that we included these as as some of the core components of that. So the provider engagement has has a higher weighting than some of the other elements of that prioritization process. The patient experience has a higher rating. And things that move us towards population health have a higher ranking and a higher weighting to them. So, so we use these elements to do that. There are others as well. Uh, I don't think I would say that there's, uh, the purpose of this was to get fewer. The, the details behind that are still, still exist and can still be used to inform what we're doing in these areas. Certainly around uh -huh. IT governance and resource allocation of how we do that, those comments were, were brought forward of how do we make sure we do it successfully. Okay. And I guess maybe I just want to clarify. I mean, the reason I asked that question is um, as I read the slide, it, it looks like it starts with 427 comments from users, and then it's been you know, filled, analyzed, and you know, analyzed and categorized. But you know, there may be things that you, as the IT expert, look at it and say, you know what, I agree with all that stuff, but there's this other important element that a user wouldn't necessarily see, but I see and I think needs to be added. So I just want to make sure that, you know, that in addition to the user voice of the voice of the customer, the voice of the user, that it's also the voice of the, you know, the expert, the producer that's in there as well. Yes, so so I participated in the process as well as did my team. So so it wasn't okay. It it was very inclusive of administration, uh, our provider team, and the well, leadership of the end user departments that that consume the resources that we're providing in terms of IT application. Okay, so 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 you and your team were, were part of the consumer group or the customer group. Yes, we were part of the voice uh, that went uh, into this, and, and I would say the okay. key things that came from us probably. You know, some of the key things were the same as other people, right? Systems integration and resource allocation mm -hmm. were parts of, you know, we're asked to do way more things than we can do, so we need a prioritization process, and that's what comes out of IT mm -hmm. governance and resource allocation. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it that, that the organization thinks we should be working on? Because we have way more asks than we can, we can that's right. provide. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. So let's then... I kind of dig into the first piece of that on IT governance and around these areas. So I, I provide a lot of details behind these in your uh, in in the report. So I didn't want to spend an inordinate amount of time on these uh, around that. So um, so each of them has a slide as well. So these key strategic considerations. There were just a couple I wanted to touch on because really the key thing out of IT governance is the what should we be working on? What should IPD, IT be doing to move the organization forward? And that's really where we look to the steering committee to do that, right? That it's there's buy-in from the from the members of the IT steering committee, which is essentially the uh, executive leadership team um, around that activity to to drive what are the key organizational strategic objectives and how does IT align up with those? And then what that does for us is get that 
you know, the buck stops here, which is in the kind of the second column, second item down. When the IT steering committee prioritizes tasks and say, this is, these are the projects we're working on and these are the projects we're not working on, that a leader doesn't leave the meeting and go, I'm going to figure out a different way to do this and work around the process to get things done that aren't consistent with what the organization's saying we're doing from a strategic objective and, and aligning where our, our money goes. I, I would say in the past, without this type of governance structure, uh, there were projects that just got started, contracts got signed, and then it would show up on IT's doorstep saying, I need you to implement this. And we're like, we don't even know what that is. How does that fit in with everything else that the organization is trying to get done? How does it fit in with Soaring Clinicals, which was the key strategic objective, right? This is a niche system for a specific department that's like, well, well that's not part of how this whole thing works. Mm -hmm. And so this structure helps us eliminate that because of, because of the structure that contracting's put in place, right? Contracts don't get approved unless they go through a structure. There's sign-off on those documents that it has to be reviewed by IT if it includes any type of IT to it, which helps give us the structure we need to be more successful in implementing the right things at the right time. And David, what is the? Um, I I appreciate that, and I and I really recognize that having been in a system that that yeah, I I understand those things. But how how does is, is there a criteria that the governance group uses to determine what becomes a priority? Did yes, that's what I'm going to recommend. Next month is that project prioritization process. We're still in the midst of working through it right now, okay. so I can't bring you the. Okay, that's fine. The, Just so I. It's coming in. Yeah. So we set up, uh, there are 10 criteria that are used with weights to them, and each project is scored against those criteria. Oh, great, great. It comes up with a score that will then put them in a sequence. And then the steering committee will review that and say, does that sequence make sense? And what are the resource requirements for those? What is the financial requirement for those? And what can we afford to do? At some point, we're going to draw a line, right? Say, this is all we can afford to do, both in time and people. So we either need to add more money to it or add more resources, consultants, to be able to do more projects and, and move the line down further to accomplish things. Okay. It's also capable, uh, uh, the group also has the ability to say, oh, this project's below the line, but you know what? It's too important that we don't do it. Let's move that above the line and then see what is the impact on another project, what has to come off, or what do we need to be added to do that? Because it, even though it didn't score well, it might be we don't have the criteria quite tuned correctly to pick up why that one was important. Well, I suppose, so it has the ability to adjust that. Uh, and I suppose that that is my worry, is that what ends up happening is that the emotions or, or the priorities or politics or whatever it happens to be moves those things up higher. And now the line gets lower and the top group of everything that's important is now increased and you're back to where you were. So uh, that's why I'm pressing on what is, in fact, where where you have to say, Great idea, but not this year. Great idea, but two years from now, despite the urgency or despite the desire to get it done. Yeah, the, the benefit of the process is we at least have some scoping on what are the resource requirements that we didn't have before. Great, okay. And so that's what allows us to say, here's where the line is drawn and here's why, people and money. Okay. And so if that's the case, we decide. If, we, if you want to do that project, we add, need to add more money to add or add more people or, or get more time, you know, which of the, the or get something else off the list, yeah. That, right. yeah. or take something right. else off, and so okay. that's that's what what gets it there, and it's all the key stakeholders, that the key leadership within the organization that has the ability to say, yes, we're doing that, no, we're not doing that, okay. and can explain it then to the people, you know, al along the chain of command that are involved in that project request, saying, why didn't you do my project? Well, they were at the table and know why. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Uh, th these are those elements which really gets at we, we need to have that buy-in of everybody at the table and, and make sure they understand the why that the projects are prioritized the way they are and the resources are assigned the way they are. Re really getting at that, you know, single buck stops here means the meeting happens in the meeting, discussions happen there, prioritization happens there, and then that's what we walk out and work on. And so I think it helps give that organizational uh, commitment to this is what we're doing and, and we'll, we will be more successful in completing projects on time and on budget because of it. Uh, this is the framework for that, and, and what we have in place today is the IT Steering Committee. That is the group that's currently meeting and working on that. Uh, we have a charter set for that that will be ratified at tomorrow's meeting. Uh, we have charters for the other eight committee or yeah, eight committees that are listed there that are currently under review. Uh, and, and we're looking for where do committees already exist that, that might be able to take on these tasks but not, um, as DeVecchio mentioned, have the tail wag the dog on this, right? That we're not forcing a committee to take on this task that might be inappropriate for what their real purpose is and takes over their purpose. So we want to look where it makes sense and where it doesn't. We currently have a revenue cycle steering committee that I think makes a lot of sense to say we can pick up what's in the charter for this that's been identified here and have the revenue cycle steering committee do that. We're meeting that group meets tomorrow and we'll be discussing it at that meeting. And so the rest of these look around the technology and infrastructure, making sure we have standards around how we do that. That's really the technical side of what we do. You know, on the right side of the top, physician advisory, clinical standards, really setting how we do our clinical care and how we apply our systems to the way we're working. Uh, security and compliance is strictly around that, making sure we have the right guidelines in place of how we're going to deal with security. Informatics and data governance, we've had a data governance committee in the past. They've done some work that led us to K2. That work needs to continue as we expand uh, in the future. Uh, a sound IT project management structure, which gets us to here's how we're going to perform projects, which works with the, within the PMO structure, the project management office structure we have within the organization. And then quality adoption is really kind of a new idea to us that, that Lighthouse brought forward on how do we ensure that we're kind of as the board has asked us to review contracts after they're done to see do we get the value out of that contract? Did we get the value and expectations and outcomes of these projects as we do them? And surely going in and looking at the are they adopted properly and, and did we produce the product that was expected? So that's really the, the structure that's given there and, and each of those are being then worked on. We've got a proposed committee membership for each of those and that's what we're uh, what the IT steering committee is working through over the next two months. Who, who gets to be on these um, different committees? Yeah, I can I can share that with you that it's been proposed on it. It's primarily leadership within the organization and, and the key stakeholders within each area. So uh, if we pick one out of like security and compliance, that includes the chief privacy officer, uh, our compliance department, and IT security, which is a currently vacant position. And what, I'm, I'm sorry, Jim, did I interrupt you? No, no, go ahead. So, so we do have proposed membership for every one of the committees. If you'd like to, I'm happy to share that. with the. With is the there a role that month. the internal auditor plays in this? Uh, would be part of that security and compliance. The security, okay. Yeah. As you. our, serendipitously, our compliance officer is our internal auditor. And yeah, so I think right. that's the benefit of, that, of Rick being on that committee. Okay, okay. Uh, because then we come back and say, okay, if we're implementing some new systems that it, that are going to impact the revenue cycle, how do we ensure that, that we have the right controls in place with that system that, that meets our standards and ha would have awareness of that. And who would be in clinical standards? Uh, so clinical standards can be made up of clinical staff. So there's physician representation on that as well as nursing and the ancillary 
um, support departments, so that's, that's primarily our clinical operations, the therapist, laboratory, so radiology. A good representative. Yeah, the clinical standards is a very broad, wide group of, of addressing how we're, how we're using the systems in our clinical areas and setting those standards of how it's going to be used, how things will be documented, and what changes will be made to the system, what, what's our, the governance over how we're using the clinical systems. What, when do you anticipate that you will be actually implementing the plan? Yeah, so we're starting it. It started now. I think it's probably going to take us three or four months to get these groups together and, and initiate them. Some of them are smaller groups. Some of them are larger. The physician advisory and clinical standards, those are large groups. Uh, revenue cycles already in place, I think, so that one's fairly straightforward uh, and be started. <coughs> and technology infrastructure is a rather small group as well, so that one could be started over the next month. And quality is a new one. So and quality is yeah, completely new, so it'll take a little more to form that committee and then say what, how will they be producing their, uh, their work. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. and, and Dave, how do you make sure a lot of committees. How do you make sure that the committees are both, you know, representative of the customers, uh, and also, you know, but but, but also can um, advise, you know, advise you and, and steer you and, and your team um, productively. Yeah, the expectation is that these committees will report back up to the IS steering committee. It's built like an org structure because it's meant to be that, that they would come back and say, here's what they're working on, here's what they're recommending, and so it, it gets back to that uh, buy-in from top leadership that these are the right things, we're working on the right things and we're doing them in the right way, and these committees are providing that, the expertise around those areas to make sure we're doing it correctly. So it rolls back up to the IS steering committee. Okay. And, and how do you how do you ensure that? Uh, I'm just thinking about. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot. We've all seen lots and lots of steering committees and committees and all that. And some are effective and some are less effective. And how do you make sure that these are going to be effective committees? That's a really good question. Um, can I bring that answer back to you next time? Uh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll talk with Lidos about that and, and see if they've got uh, any experience in measuring effectiveness of the steering committee processes and where that where they've seen them be very effective and what has caused them to not be very effective. And yeah, then we can measure ourselves. Can, like you know, find you know, get some um, uh, you know, see if you can get some examples of um, you know, good, well-run you know, advisory committees like you're you're putting together here, and you know, what what are some best practices? can build those in from the beginning, something like that. Yeah, I guess, I guess just off my head thinking about it, right, if, if we see where there's uh, projects or activities being initiated outside of the IS steering committee, then it would not be a very effective committee because the, the intent is that, that everything comes through that committee for prioritization and <coughs> buy-in from the rest of the of the leadership team that says those are the things we're going to be working on. So yeah. with these well, things no, happening take, outside take that time, process. You know, go, go, go figure it out. All right. No worries. Thanks. Uh, I did want to okay. give you an update on where we're at with the IT Service Center. I talked to you last month about us coming live in in, in uh, share, shared services in August and then going live. Um, so you'll see that uh, when AHS took over, oh, those got, so those titles are shifted. 
Uh, AHS is over August, Shared was in July, and Cerner was in August of 2015. Uh, we do have results from uh, September, which didn't make this graph because of when it was published. I can tell you that all of the categories have improved in September over what they were in August. Uh, we were concerned over the call abandonment rate at 10.6%. That's a little bit higher than we would like to be. Obviously, our goal is less than 5%. Uh, it's dropped to 8%, so we're seeing improvement in that. Uh, we've seen uh, answered calls with an answer within 30 seconds has gone up as well. We're higher, we're, I think we went to 89% of all calls answered within 30 seconds. Uh, ticket closed by the service centers uh, almost doubled. Uh, we're, I think we're at 45% of all calls being answered and resolved by the service center, which is a tremendous improvement over what we had when Cerner was in charge because they didn't even measure it. Because all they called, actually, they measured it as uh, it was closed when they created a ticket. They called that closed. So they closed like 99.8% of all tickets. I thought, well, why didn't you close the other 0.2% if you're just, all you do is create a ticket? So <laughs> it was very confusing to me. So we're closing 44% means the person that answers the phone resolves the issue with the person right there. And so it's done. It is what drives up the the calls answer within 30 seconds a little bit because the technician is on the phone and addressing the issue. Uh, but we think it's a better resolution than, than telling a person we're going to call them back and try to contact them. Clinicians on the, floor, on the floors are mobile mostly, right? So they're at a device, have a problem, they need it fixed right then. If we have to call them back, they're off somewhere else now. Right. And then we have to track them down and get back to that. So addressing the problem on the phone is a really key indicator for us. You can see uh, Nick set the goal at 30%. Uh, because we felt that was um, a, a really great goal to have in the beginning. When we hit 36% off the beginning, we then set it at 50%, expecting it to take us six to 10 months to do that. And we're almost there after one month, which is after two months of having it in full service. Really excited about that change. And the calls of voicemail improved as well. So the, these are, uh, the calls of voicemail was something that didn't exist with, uh, with the Cerner application. If you called and no one answered, you, you, you either hung up or you just stayed on the line. So we have the option when the person calls, they can push a button and say, I want to leave a voicemail message. Are, are you collecting the repetitive from the same people calls? Yeah, so what the system allows us to do is when, when, you, when it's recorded, we, we document who made the call, who left the voicemail, who, who created a ticket. Because we have an email creation as well that didn't exist before. Either people can send an email. Just send an email to the IS service center and it creates a ticket. And so we capture who does that. Yeah, and then so we most can see people who's just calling. need some kind of in-depth training for, right. right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so we're, we're really happy with our results so far. Uh, improved over the next month, and we expect it to continually improve. And we think this is another win on uh, bringing a service inside that was outsourced previously. Um, and running 7x24, 365 with the service center. Great. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay. All right. Um, looks like we're almost back on on schedule. Um, so let's see. We're going to hear from Ishwari. Yes, and I'll, I'll try and keep us on schedule as well. Um, if you all recall, okay. um, we were at this meeting last month, and we were we had rolled out the structure for finance, and under that, a big component that's under my um, um, area is integrating the two departments, one being strategy and business development, the, the other being budgeting and finance. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just provide a quick report on where we are to date, uh, or rather between the last month and this month, our progress on, on some of our activities. 
really three different areas. One is just bringing these two departments together, how our structure and process uh, is integrating and how we're building a foundation. So towards that, we are working now to understand our workflows. We are working to bring our team members up to speed and sharing our work processes. Our goal is to become a high-performing team. To do that, we have a retreat set up with our own internal staff this Friday to go through the whole process of what is the bonus of work, how we would do that, what is our current state, how do we get better, what are the systems, and what, what do we need in place so we can all be performing at that level. Um, that's the component about building our foundation. We unfortunately also have a few vacancies we're looking to fill, and we have the exciting news is we have several internal candidates who are in interested, and we would be advancing them through the process of our interviews. Um, the other two areas are business planning and budgeting, so I'll provide a brief um, sort of report on where we are with both. For the business planning area, we've developed a template which we're socializing as well as a process. I think I walked you all through the process we are intending to use. Uh, we are using GI uh, as an example or as the first uh, business plan that's getting off the gate, and we're in the process of working to develop that business plan, and we hope to have this to the committee sometime in the near future. Uh, we are also working on some other business plans. You'll see the rehab uh, move, the uh, requirements for the seismic requirements requiring us to move from Fairmont to San Leandro. That's a business plan also we are working to develop. Um, in the area of budgeting, um, I'll, I'll speak and then I'll have David comment on anything uh, that I've omitted to add. We've set up a process to review our departmental budgets, variances, new requests, and so on and so forth through several venues. A couple of them are the Variance Committee and the Budget Oversight Committee. This is an important function because, as you know, we've moved to a rolling budget process. So we hope to have this happen all year. We've had a meeting or two of uh, the Budget Oversight Committee and a meeting of the Variance Committee. So we are being intentional about who from the SBUs are representing, so the membership of that meeting is important. Um, we are learning through that. The exciting opportunity for us is working with Luis and then with finance to bring the operational leadership now and then having the finance support to really drive some changes and some system opportunities we're finding through our variance reports and or through the budget oversight and then affecting that through our processes, through the ELT, to have meaningful discussions that are important to keep us uh, intact and also for any improvements that we intend to make. So that's all I have. David, would you like to add anything? Yeah, I, I think just getting the strategy, finance, operations all together in that um, working, you know, having that feedback loop continuous is just so critical to be doing this. There's just no way otherwise that you can do strategies off on one side and finances off on the other. So, yeah. Okay. No comment. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I'll save that question for later. Thank you, Ishwari. Mr. Fox, you're going to tell us all about capitation. Yes. Um, while our presenter is coming up, uh, I'm going to introduce him. Uh, Michael Skolnick is um, currently serving as our interim director of managed care contracting, our permanent director is on maternity leave. Um, Michael also, um, uh, before he did this, actually uh, was, um, did all of the contracting set up for um, Canopy Health, that new uh, HMO uh, that we talked about. So he's very familiar with the market. He's very uh, familiar to uh, our contracting team. He's doing a great job. 
before he starts, and we're going to kind of tag team this. I'm going to let you know that I've actually cut back the presentation a little bit, uh, just anticipating we're going to be running behind, and it's a lot of material, but the, my objective is really to get through the part where we talk about the division of financial responsibility, which may be a new term for you. We call it the DOFR, D-O-F-R. Uh, but in capitation, it's it's kind of you know the uh, crux of the entire matter. So with that, um, Mike Skolnick is here, and Mike is going to go through this. Great. Yes. So anyway, the first thing we need to do is look at what is capitation, because it's it's a buzzword. It's something that's used in the marketplace often. Let's move the capitation. It has positive. It has a negative impact. But let's look at a general definition here. So it's an annual set amount paid in advance to a provider group for each enrolled patient per unit of time for the delivery of health care services, whether or not that person seeks care. So it's a per member per month payment. It's a premium that's paid to us based on the amount of patients that we see. So we need to ask ourselves, is capitation really the direct Is it the, I'm sorry, and I promise to try to not interrupt you, but is it the, when you say the payment, is it the payment of the previous year's number or? It's actually per member per month. So you get per paid month, every month, month based on the number of people you're, you have taken financial risk for. And we're going to get into that in more detail. It gets okay. a little deeper as we go. So okay, we'll I'm sorry, I will. That's okay. So we want to look at why we're visiting this topic. And the first reason is probably our key driver. It's that Medi-Cal and the Medi-Cal expansion product, it, the state is looking at requiring capitation with the health systems. Um, in all of the Affordable Care Act programs, there's a push for value-based payments. And so this is a form of a value-based payment. So Alameda Health Alliance is working with us currently, meeting with us three, three or four times a month to discuss how to move forward, how to build budgets, what the state is providing us. And we're working as partners in this process because we want it to be a success. We're looking at 2017 to almost do a dry run. It's I call it a virtual capitation where we're going to look at our budgets. We'll be paid on a fee-for-service basis, but we'll look at developing and managing surpluses within that budget, and we'll talk about that in a second, too. The second reason that we're looking at capitation, because we're also involved with community hospitals, mm -hmm. Alameda, San Leandro, and no matter what we do, we have to support them, too. We're trying to work with them through some specific um, contracts. They're asking us if we would be interested in working any kind of value-based programs in the future. So we're not there yet, but we're looking at that. Um, and the third reason is we already have an HPAC agreement, and that's essentially capitation because we're paid a $36 million budget to work with this specific patient base as well as there are specific programs for HPV, for opioid addiction, and some chronic care initiatives. So this here is what we call moving from fee-for-service to fee-for-value. It's an interesting chart because everybody does it a little differently, but where we are in this chain is at clinical integration. 
we are clinically integrated. We have physicians that are soured. We have physicians that are contracted with us. The hospital's involved. We have ancillaries involved, and we have SNFs. All of that is part of clinical integration. We haven't taken risk with that clinical integration, but we're holding hands with each other as we figure out how to work. It moves into episodic and bundle payments next. That is being tested with the hip and knee replacement that we've seen mentioned by the federal government, by Medicare, trying to get all of the facilities to look at that, where you get one budget. That one budget covers everything from home health care to ancillary services to outpatient services. The anesthesiologist is part of that. It's a single payment, but we're still paying internally on a fee-for-service basis for that, so we're not really using a capitated mentality with, but with the episodic and bundle payment. Some companies are using it differently, but for us, it fits at this point in the continuum. Then there's shared savings, and I just mentioned shared savings, and that's what we're working on with Alameda, Health, with Alameda Alliance for Health. We're gonna do some type of 50-50 share on the front end with no downside. Next, as we start to get a little more sophisticated, we're gonna be asking for more surplus to get a larger percentage, but we're also gonna to have to take some downside as we think that through. So it could be that weeks we take 70% of the surplus, the plan takes 30, they cover a little less, we cover a little more. Mm -hmm. It all depends on where it goes. You're asking whom? I'm, I'm missing the whom. Part. Alameda Alliance for the Health Alliance. or HealthNet okay. or whoever the or, health plan is. Whoever the, oh, okay. It could be Medicare in the future. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. Okay. And then shared savings, and, and then we go to full capitation where we're actually getting a percentage of premium mm -hmm. from the plan. Normally, you don't take a percentage of premium unless you can manage that percentage of premium. Right. And there's certain components that go with it that we'll talk about next. And then there's the sky's the limit. If we get to the point where we're so good in capitation, we might decide to become a Medi-Cal plan or a Medicare plan. That's way, way ahead, but you have yeah. to think that way. Uh, unlikely. <laughs> it's we very have, unlikely. <laughs> but we have partners who have those licenses already. Okay. Okay, that's fine. So okay. we can look at some of the advantages and some of the weaknesses. Let's begin with the weaknesses on capitation and go through them very quickly. Um, it's, it says it can restrict patient's choice. Well, in the past... Trauma team to the ER, level 2, ETA, 5 minutes. Trauma team to the ER, level 2, trauma, ETA, 5 minutes. In the past, in the 90s, we found that patients were complaining about choice. Capitation now puts the patient at the center of the care and they choose the team they're working with. So they'll be working with the team if they choose us because this is where they want to work and they also know it gives them a chance to work in a more cost-effective and value-based environment. Um, so that's overcome. It could lead to stinting on care. With the new systems, and we'll talk about those, that prevents that from happening and we have good case management and the infrastructure to support that from ever happening. Practices or physicians may have incentives to only take healthier patients. Well, with the way we negotiate capitation, there's a acuity index attached to each patient. So in some cases, it makes more sense to take a sicker patient than a healthier patient because you could do better if you manage that patient more effectively and you keep them out of the hospital. Because the premium accounts for that hospital stay, but if we manage it well, mm -hmm. there's a surplus that's in place. 
and then it's hard to evaluate clinical clinicians' performance. We're, we're working with a company that we've contracted with who will be doing a lot of the information integration, and they will be managing and reviewing the population health. They'll be doing the um, aggregation of the data. They'll help with the stratification. They'll help us work on the case management piece, and then it'll help with the patient engagement so physicians can be more involved. Mm -hmm. So that'll be overthought. And it says it can encourage a doctor or practice to take on too many patients because you're getting paid on a per member per month basis. We don't have that issue here because we're dealing with care centers. We wish we could take on more patients right now because we want to increase access, not lower access. Mm -hmm. The advantages, um, it encourages clinicians to limit unnecessary medical services that raise costs without adding value. You want to do it right the first time because economically we're all aligned in this system. Secondly, it makes it easier for providers to use things like telemed. You're not limited on what you can do. We, just, we make those determinations. Costs are more predictable and it's simpler for us to administer. I was putting this up here real quickly to show you. I was doing some research to see where is capitation measured the best. There's two health systems in Utah of all places. One is Intermountain Health, the other is University of Utah. They do both do it quite well. They pop in their programs, they, it shows you, if you look at that line, you have the expected total costs on the top, and you can see where it says targeted costs, so they made their targets on where they would be, and those are actual. And those actual costs are the differentiating factors, the money that's saved as a result of performing well. The real way to save money, and the way you think this through is, Readmit, so you don't want your COPD patients coming into the office with a readmit. Um, emergency room visits, you mm -hmm. want to be able to monitor those diabetic patients so when they're hypoglycemic, you catch them before they end up in the emergency room, etc. cetera. Um, because they did so well in this, and this is why I'm really excited about working with David on this, it gives us a chance to build more. If you're increasing your revenue, you can bring in more physicians. If you bring in more physicians, you have more capacity, you can do even more things. So it gave them a chance for primary care clinic development, etc. So what, what's, is there support internally for this or are we just talking? Well, there is support. AHP, which we talked about earlier, I think is the potential game changer with the foundation model. So the provide where an organization can work collaboratively with the plans, with the hospital, and the patients as the future base for providers in helping us integrate this system more effectively and putting the care of the patient alongside the doctor in the center. Conifer's been chosen as, and we discussed that a second ago, with an executed agreement to provide the systems and population health case management and programming to support that. Um, AHS as an assertive population health committee, I've attended one of the meetings and they're on target. They've been well educated by people prior to me. Kathy Wada came in there and really did an excellent job getting folks ready. And then payer contracting is we're aligned on the payer side with the plans and we understand what can and cannot be done, which you'll see in the next slide. So when you contract with a plan for capitation, you just don't let them give you a per member per month total or percentage of premium. You have to already know what services and spending that each provider can control. We're not going to take on risk for what we have no control over. Right. We want to know in, 
in our, we have to understand where we can cut spending without harming patient care. So how do we do this effectively so we cut those readmits without um, jeopardizing the patient? Third, we want to determine the patient, what, determine the patients that need the most services. So what do we target? What are the highest chronic care and comorbid conditions? How do we set them up? How do we structure them? What can we do? So when we ask for the rate, we know what they're going to deliver. And then we have to look at the fact that we're working in a complex system and not everybody's going to fit in a value-based payment and we're going to have to use fee-for-service payments also. Um, so what I, do you do when the, when the plan provider holds you hostage and is not willing to, to work with you? When you say the plan, the plan? An insurance, insurance plan provider. Well, they're actually, when, with, with value-based care, we work with insurance companies that want to work with us, and then we work together and we create a collaborative agreement. It's not an us versus them because you can't make it work. Because you'll see in the DOFR that we share a lot of services and we're at risk together. So it's not, it has to be something they want to work with us on. So if HealthNet says, we don't want to capitate with you, we don't want to work in a risk environment with you, I don't think we should. It has to be with willing partners. Well, then, then the provider, the medical provider, who in fact has had, whose most of their patients have had that particular insurance company, mm-hmm. and we can't negotiate, what happens to that relationship? Well, on, on the Medi-Cal side, we'll most likely be capitated with most of the groups and have those relationships, mm-hmm. so it'll be a non- Well, the Medi-Cal, I, I kind of get. And that's, if you saw the payer mix, that's a big piece of our payer mix. On the Medicare Advantage side, we'll have capitated arrangements, and again, those will all be friendly. The rest of the agreements will be fee-for-service still, so we won't have that back-and-forth um, problem. Yeah, it's envisioned that Canopy will be the primary vehicle for capitation, and they're actually starting with a contract with HealthNet. Uh, other plans may join, but um, Canopy is a very a member-friendly plan because it's owned by the members. Well, I was trying to I was trying to put in into context the co- the comments by the physicians from Al- Alameda, Alameda. Yeah. and how their frustration is relative to our trying to get right. And those are fee for service. Fee contracts. for service. Yeah. Those, not, yeah. so those are not in this. Yeah. That's a different discussion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That helps me. Thank you. This will help that relationship, though, because the bigger we get and the more providers we have, we have a network. The plans will then want to contract with us. They'll come see us. Yeah. Okay. So in this here, we're just looking at percentage. We're, with capitation, as I mentioned, we're getting percentage of premiums. There's an acuity adjustment. It's called a high. They use what they call risk adjustment factors. That's built into it. There's an age sex adjustment. And it all turns into a per member per month um, revenue modeling. And then on the expense side, we have to work it internally. Which brings us to the DOFR. We wanted to show you what a DOFR looks like, and it has multiple components to it. So it breaks, this will break down the inpatient services, and you can see in the first column it has the hospital budget. In the second column, it says IPA, think of AHP in that column or something similar. And then the HP is health plan. And so you could see that it's all based on 
where the risk is best to reside. Any questions on that? So once you actually create the DOFR, you now could create a budget and look at that budget and develop our premium, you know, the capitation distribution, because we've all now negotiated. We've determined the percentage of premiums that should be going where. Now we have to figure out what is really in that and where does the money reside? Where's the PMPM dollar? So if, okay, look, if I can jump in. So, and this is, this is an example, meant to be a generic example, but it sort of closely resembles the seniors, with, uh, seniors and persons with disability population. So in terms of the uh, utilization per thousand, so like uh, 1,200 days per thousand, uh, you know, outpatient visits, ED visits, 1,000 visits per, per, per thousand, uh, and then the cost. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Apologize. That's all right. Okay. So once you have that, we then show you that the total per member per month that's been determined is $668.12. So that's to balance both sides, which it does. And you'll see that there's an IPA cap. So that means the professional component is there. If you go in the middle, it shows you where the hospital risk is, and it gives you those components there. We have to work in those budgets per patient. Mm -hmm. And then for the health plan, they're taking risk all across the board. This is a shared type of risk. Yeah, and notice they take all of the pharmacy, which is actually very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we need to stay patient-centered, outcomes-focused, and we need to work collaboratively, and that's purpose. Okay, thanks. Thanks for listening. Any questions? Quick, quick question. I mean, what kind of readiness is needed for something like that? So when you were talking about, you know, where you have, you see clinical integration on that scale of evolution to where you get to capitation, I mean, where would you say we are? Are we still doing the integration? We're, we're well, that first part. The first part, right? That's where we are. And the, the bundled payments, like there's a lot of emerging other yeah. Uh, areas that we might be looking at too. Maternity care is one of the things that mm -hmm. is being very closely looked at mm -hmm. for probably bundled care payments too. So when we think of our journey, we are looking at like kind of getting to... Um, well, we're, we're here. Yes. Uh, Medicare is foisting that on us, so we're doing some of that. Mm -hmm. Just getting organized around it. Uh, effective January 2017, we hope to be there. And effective... 2018, we hope to be here with um, the alliance. We're essentially there today with Health Pack. We just aren't aren't operating. We're not doing all this stuff, but we have the risk. 2018, today, so. we will be. Yeah, we will. yeah. But so we're, um, you know, with the population health strategy, we're imp we're implementing now the infrastructure to do all this. So it'll all sort of come together. So what does the blue dots represent? Oh, it's just timeline. This timeline is a little artwork. Yeah. You should tell me to quit putting blue dots in the artwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, you guys are just amazing to me, True, truly. And then you think that division of responsibility is, uh, that concept, I have to understand, dofer as opposed to division of. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, it dofer. is the same thing. 
I know. Why do I have to learn DOFR and when you can just say Division of Financial Responsibility and I get it? <laughs> oh, you say, sorry. That's so you just do all Welcome these. Welcome to Health Care. Nice no. Everything is acronyms. I know. <laughs> I, I understand that. So while we are working on the clinical integration, the data aggregation part is happening as well, like right, right. now with mm -hmm. Health Pack and all of those yes. too. So we are moving yes. those balls yes. forward. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank I, you. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. Okay. Appreciate your time. Okay, Jim, we're up to the uh, planning calendar. Uh, and I've inserted the, uh, the document from the package and uh, the thing to note are uh, some of the, as Ashwari mentioned, we have some uh, uh, business and strategic planning issues tied up uh, or teed up uh, in the future. We're hoping to bring in this GI service plan. I can't quite read these. Uh, we have a facilities assessment. We have um, rehab, uh, hopefully around January and some other things. And then we've got a series of... Uh, retrospective reviews scheduled for future meetings. And, and uh, on this calendar, which of these things ne you feel need to go to the total board um, as opposed to the finance committee seeing it pre? So, mm, you know, um, so that there's not... Well, I mean, uh, certainly the, the, the rehab relocation is going to be a very big, uh, very big deal that will have to go... To the total board? Yeah. Yeah. And so, what is the advantage of taking it here first, David? Uh, generally, the finance committee gets a chance to, uh, you know, scrub it in more detail. The, the board may not have the time to get into the level of detail that uh, uh, you, you would want to, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a judgment call whether you go to the full board. Well, I, you know, this, these are your calls, too, and yeah. so I just, I'm just trying to understand so that yeah. in both places you're not... Yeah. You know that we know that there's going to be some in-depth conversation, and and where the substance is going to be the most helpful for mm. for the uh, for the administration is the substance of the conversation more helpful at when the when you have these big things at a board meeting or at a finance meeting, and then you just do a cursory review at a board meeting. Uh, yeah, that's a judgment call. I mean, I, I, I personally with rehab, oh. it's so important. I'd probably do both. Okay. Um, All right. Well, that I guess that's management call. Okay. Yeah. And it actually benefits management because we get a uh, a first look at what the concerns are, and it gives us time to respond to them. Well, it helps slow learners hear it twice. Yeah. So. There you go. Okay. All right. I, I think there's some real value to you know, you know, even if it's the same content, doing it twice, and um, there's. I think there's real value in getting, you know, some of the board's, you know, uh, you know, viewpoints and concerns out 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 on out on the table. And it also helps management focus earlier in getting complete package together. Okay. So I think there's real value there. Okay. I think we're through it, Jim. We have a closed session. Well, oh, we that is fabulous. So there's going to we're going to have a closed session. I think it'll be fairly um, quick. To discuss oh, I'm sorry. potential oh, litigation, um, I guess we're going no. to... Um, hey, hey, Jim, I think there may be do public... The public comment at the end of this. Yeah, we, we do have some public comment. Um, we have uh, Joe Rose. Is okay. Well, um, would it make sense to do the public comment now? Well, I think so. Yes. 
then why don't we take public comment now, and if anyone else, and if there's any public comment uh, after we come out of the closed session, then we can take that as well. So um, let's hear from our friend Joe Rose from the Army. Uh, thank you, uh, Chairperson Luganani. Um, I was out of order here in that was supposed to come in after the closed session, <laughs> anyway, but this is this is fine, I guess. So, first of all, what I want to do is uh, to thank the the board of trustees here for moving forward uh, on the mentors on discharge uh, contract. Uh, I think that that's going to be a, a big boon in terms of reducing rehospitalizations at John George. Uh, we've been struggling along with a small contract with Kaiser, and thankfully they've been able to keep us going. But now I think that we can make a real difference at uh, John George, so thank you for that. However, there are some gaps in that contract in that the contract only allows us to provide service to uh, people that... Um, have government contract or government insurance. So anybody that has a private insurance, we're not allowed to uh, get reimbursed for that. So from from my standpoint, every bed counts. So we're in a process now trying to get other funding streams which will close those gaps so that we can provide service to everybody coming out of John George, irrespective of what kind of insurance they have or don't have. So that's one thing. And so what we're doing on October 22nd, I did a handout there. October 22nd is National Make a Difference Day. So we are having two events on uh, National Make a Difference Day. Uh, one, we're having a walk in the morning, which I'm not asking you to attend to that one, but it's at Lake Elizabeth in Fremont. But secondly, there is a, a gala event that we're going to be having in the evening. It's going to be in Oakland, I mean in, uh, in Hayward. And... Uh, I'm looking forward to a, a good, inter, uh, good attendance there. We're going to, first of all, talk about why NAMI got started in the first place. How come we even came into existence? And then we're going to celebrate our successes, what successes we've had over the years. And then, based on the funding we need to go forward, what are we going to fund in the future to expand our programs? So I want to invite everybody to the gala. Hope to see you there. Thank you ever so much for your support on the Mentor and Discharge Program. Thank you, Mr. Rose. Okay. Thank, thank you, Joe, and thank you for your tireless efforts for those who live with uh, mental health concerns every day. All right. Let us uh, then uh, adjourn into closed session, and we will come out at the end of that to make a report. Um, Mike, would you like to make the report from the um, closed session? Okay. So I'll just report that the uh, committee met in closed session. They did not take any action. Um, and that is the end of the closed session report. Okay. Any further public comment? None received. Awesome. Okay. Any further trustee comment? No. Oh, thank you. Well, meeting adjourned. Thank you, everybody. This has been great.